0: Gary Furnell, he's an evangelist of innovating tech with the goal to solve customer problems. He's been in general management, sales, and business development leadership roles for companies like LinkedIn, Rogers, Globe and Mail, CTV and Cineplex Entertainment. He's connecting CMOs and C-suite executives with solutions in VR, AR, video, video content, lifestyle media, and FinTech. We are talking with Gary about mindset, meditation, we talk about how to manage your thoughts, and then we jump into business, talking about LinkedIn, sales, cryptocurrency, and blockchain. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Here's Gary. Okay, I'm here with Gary fernell on Ross Growth Podcast. Gary, thank you so much for joining me as a guest today. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. You achieved a lot so far in your career. You did, you did things in business development, in sales, in marketing. What do you do more or less of compared to people who are unable to do what you do?
1: Well, uh, it's a great question. I guess I, I don't know whether I think of it that way that I've achieved a lot or not. I feel like I'm on a continuous kind of learning journey in my work career, in my life. I'm always uh, finding out new things about the world around me and about my myself. So. Uh, I've I've been very fortunate in my career to have worked for some great companies, some great brands, and we can talk about some of those yeah. later on. But I, you know, when I think about the philosophy for me as a as a longtime seller and uh, leader of sales teams, uh, my my focus has been on uh, sort of a constant learning. Uh, approach to, to the world. So I have a very much a growth mindset where I'm looking at new opportunities, always thinking mm-hmm. about where things are going next, uh, trying to anticipate new trends in technology and how those how those new solutions will provide value to clients in various spaces. Typically for me, that's mm-hmm. been in, uh, in the media and marketing space, also more recently in fintech uh, and social uh, and I and I would say that, I guess, from uh, a personal standpoint, I see myself as extremely adaptable okay. uh, and I think part of that is connected to that, that looking at all these new changes, the technology especially, but also just shifts in behaviors and consumer and uh, business attitudes, et cetera, that if you are A person who has and maybe that's just as simple as that classic fixed versus growth mindset chart that we may have all seen but uh for me it's been you know being able to take the things that i know and and i'm able to do and apply them in in a variety of different ways so yeah being adaptable to say look i can take this skill set that i've built up over time my network of contacts and i can Mm -hmm. move laterally or up and, and across to different industries to different types of roles and that's kept it very exciting for me, kept it very uh fresh uh, uh for me as a as a person working in the spaces that I work in. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's something that's valuable for people to think about in their roles now. Absolutely. You know, you, you can't just stay and uh in one role and expect that things aren't gonna change around you. So you have to be aware, you have to be thinking about those changes that are coming at you and then to be Thinking about your own skills, are you are you refreshing right. them either through formal education or are you learning new things, taking on new challenges that then allow you to go into different directions? So yeah, it, you know, focused on being adaptable and mm. uh, you know that mindset of growth and and new uh, challenges, et cetera. I think those are things that maybe I do a little more than some others.
0: And how do you think how big of a factor is that you? did you didn't just do sales or you didn't do just marketing and that's where you would stay you know, for a long time like many people do they stay there for 10 15 20 years you didn't quite do that you you moved in different as- aspects of the business how did that help or or played out
1: yeah so it's a, another great question i think uh, all choices uh, means you probably close one door open another door uh for me those have been important because it has kept things, again, as I mentioned earlier, challenging and fresh uh, for me and my journey, that's what I've sought out is new new uh, spaces, new opportunities to apply the technology, the changes for me going from originally, I got into selling as a seller of, of freight forwarding services, which most people mm. won't know much about at all, but in the transportation sector, and then I moved into the publishing world selling ad space and magazines, ultimately uh, into online advertising in the early days of online. Uh, But for me, it's always been about finding those new spaces and pursuing opportunities in those. So I think on the plus side, for sure, I have been able to Uh, do many different things, different types of roles. As you mentioned, as a seller, as an individual contributor, I have been a sales manager. I've been a general manager. uh, I have taken my knowledge of digital into managing teams, building technology around e-commerce and mobile ticketing and things like that. Uh, I have also uh, led sales teams, uh, building new markets in Canada. I've been part of uh, leadership teams across North America for companies uh, gone into fintech. So all these things for me, exciting because they're new spaces and new challenges. For someone else, they might look at it and think, good Lord, that's that's too much change. It's too much, too many different scenarios. Uh, But yeah, it's been uh, for me, again, a very uh, rewarding path. I would say, you know, when if I look back and I was going to talk to my Twenty-year-old self, which is a common uh, thing that you see Absolutely. in social these days. You, uh, I might say, uh, you know, you should think about the the trade-offs of the stability of of one scenario versus the risk and reward uh, that you encounter when you're making other choices. And I've done as risky as a startup uh, earlier on in my life uh, that did not go well, but ultimately mm-hmm. opened new doors for me as well. So. I guess I, I see almost all forward momentum in your career and in your life as positive. I think it's always better to be out there experiencing. So I'm a big fan of people attending uh, meetups and networking events and conferences because sometimes you can say, well, you know, nothing's really going to happen mm-hmm. there that's going to be super valuable but I believe you're almost always going to meet someone, at least one person. You're going to hear one idea that's going to stimulate uh, a reaction or a response from in you that's going to open another set of opportunities. So I'm a big fan of uh, you know getting in there and learning and finding mm-hmm. things out. So the curiosity is driving a lot of what I do. That's what's driven a lot of the decisions I've made is my desire to go find out how these new spaces work, these new types of roles, whether, again, it's in Social media, fintech, uh, now uh, augmented and virtual reality that I'm working on, and uh, mobile video. So these are all things that are r- relatively new in the space right. that I'm excited about, and I love the challenge of bringing new solutions to the market. So for me, a really a really rewarding uh, return on the decisions I've made.
0: And they're all so different. Do you do them in stints? Uh, like say, maybe you you say, okay, this is, I wanna like tackle the VR, AR thing, I'm gonna spend maybe five years here, uh, and then I apply all the knowledge that I have, I learn how it actually works, and then I move on somewhere else when I got what I wanted to get out of it, uh, or do you do, it, do other things at the same time?
1: Yeah, I, I don't know that I think about it in a definitive uh, way around the timeline, but I am certainly thinking not in tenure increments, I guess, the way I thought my both my parents were long-time uh, workers in the healthcare space uh, and you know, didn't change roles, have always been surprised. Uh, my mom's not with me anymore, but my dad was always surprised at how often I was changing. He couldn't mm-hmm. really wrap his head around it because he stayed in the same place for so long. Um, so I don't know that I think about it in a very specific way like that, but I definitely am thinking about it in the context of what am i learning what am i contributing and i believe sort of in that sort of three to five year range is probably uh optimizing where your energy for bringing value to an organization is the highest and probably their their capacity to nurture and help you grow as an individual is highest so probably somewhere in that is is probably the right range to think about i mean lots of people have incredible long range careers and I'm not in any way suggesting that's a bad idea. Uh, I think you can stay inside a great uh, larger entity and do many different things over 10 years, 15 years where you're essentially doing the same as I've done where you've moved outside the company. You're doing very different roles. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, I do think Uh, that's the you know there's a probably a dynamic there of return and reward on uh, for you individually and what you're learning and then you start to look at you know what else could I be doing am I ready for the changes that I see happening in the greater world around me and what should I do to prepare Mm -hmm. should I make an external move to get there so that might inspire a change uh, and a move
0: and you while doing that you've been also interested in mindset gratitude that's side of other like psychological side of life and uh, specifically in finding harmony and balance in your life. And, and I think you asked your question, question yourself of how much I need to be happy. Curious, where are you at right now with this?
1: Yeah, I think right now uh, I'm, I'm in a very happy place. Uh, however you define happiness, I've been using a framework, a Japanese framework called Ikigai, uh, which is an interesting way of thinking about purpose and where you sort of fit in the, in the world and trying to get that balance right between what you offer the world in terms of uh, value as a potential employee, what you uh, love to do, what you're passionate about, what you're able to actually do. Um, so uh, for me right now, the mix that I have mm-hmm. in my professional life, I'll talk about that first, but yeah. I, I have now uh, a bunch of different opportunities that I'm working with in in sales development, in 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 consulting, and sales, in augmented and virtual reality. Again, as I mentioned, in mobile video. So this this mix, this mosaic for mm-hmm. me of different uh, clients and in different industries that I'm working on right now is a perfect um, opportunity to really allow me to learn in lots of different ways in at the same time. So I'm not uh, overly committed in one space to all of my time, and I'm not I'm not feeling uh, ever stuck uh, the the different industries I work on all kind of reinforce each other because they mm-hmm. force me to be thinking all the time about what's happening and what they're doing and bringing the ideas that I can then transport to the other space. So that's very exciting. So and you like variety, I, I hope to assume. Yeah, I like the variety, uh, uh, and I and so that that mix, and I like the ability for me right now at this stage of my life to control. Uh, how I spend my time. So I work uh, primarily from home. Um, I'm spending time in the offices of my uh, clients. I'm obviously out in front of customers most of the time. So I don't even, when I say I work from home, I sort of, that's it's a bit of a misnomer because I'm usually out anyway, but um, I'm not in, as I was talking to a, a friend yesterday, I'm not spending many hours in uh, commuter traffic mm-hmm. because I must be at a particular place at nine o'clock in the morning. And then, you know, when the bell rings at the end of the day, I'm departing in that same string of traffic. So I have more control of my of my day in my life. And I think, you know, generally that's been the case for me because if you're in sales, you generally run your own show uh, in terms of uh, how do you get to a target? Um, what as a leader or as an individual contributor, you're really thinking about what's the what's the end goal in terms of a revenue target or something like that. How do you get there uh it it can be a different variety of different things so you're out a lot anyway so you have a lot of control and and freedom in that sense but now even more so so for me it's everyone is looking for i don't think about it as uh balance in in that classic sense i do think about it as harmony so in my personal life things are going well my family is healthy i feel very very grateful uh, for that my own health is is excellent uh it's something i spend Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a significant amount of time thinking about. So I am I, a regular runner and I train uh, with weights as well uh, to keep my strength up. And uh, so I do think about the importance of health. I try to eat well. All these things are part of my overall, yeah. I guess, strategy, if you will, to how to uh, optimize myself in my in the dynamic of my life. So again, that on the gratitude front, you write, I, I do more and more. I think it's a a consequence to some degree of Mm. the more years you spend on the planet, the more you feel your mortality. But I I am more and more conscious uh, for all kinds of reasons about how we need to really recognize the simple value of being able to make choices. Like I get to choose every single day how I'm going to spend my time. I I have the strength and the energy to make choices about whether I'm going to run or lift. I make choices Mm -hmm. about who I'm going to call based on the activities that I've created in the past in my pipeline, I have all kinds of this, this, these wonderful, uh, rich choices I get to make in my, uh, in my professional and, and in my personal life. So it's, it's really, a, a, an amazing thing. And I am, as I say, increasingly grateful for mm-hmm. that, uh, that flexibility and the freedom to do those things. So I wish certainly for more people that, who, you know, a lot, there are many people who have incredibly difficult life situations I don't have. Uh, and so I don't have, uh, I would never offer advice or consultation to yeah. people like that. But I do think there are lots of people who get weighed down by, uh, mundane day-to-day things. And, uh, you know, I wish for them, obviously the ability to see, uh, to feel the gratitude in some of the simpler things and the choices that they are allowed to make and and see the value inherent in that, in a world where, so many people just don't have those choices, they don't have the freedom. So I think that if you bring that mindset of, of mm-hmm. gratitude to every day, you tend to be and I'm sure this is true for you, Sergey as well, yeah. that you tend to be more inspired about what you're doing and why you're doing it.
0: Oh, 100%. It makes such a big difference and everything changes like nothing changes in the world in a physical world. But the fact that you reframe in it, how is it actually a good thing or what I'm really grateful right now. And there's always a way to find people or things or where you're at right now or where you're going or what you could be grateful for as a last resort and, and then things change. You just have a different perspective. And I, what I do find is that rituals or things you do habitually in the morning, in the evening, uh, they do influence that a, a lot, like how do you start your day, what do you do in the evening uh, before you're, uh, you're going to bed, they actually make quite a big difference. Do you have any certain like steps or routines that you take in the morning and evening uh, to be in that balance, to to feel that gratitude and stay stay happy?
1: Yeah, I would probably not. I'm not a, uh, you know, I don't do meditation, which I think is something that I would like to try, but it's it's one of the things I, I sort of feel like is, is, is maybe missing from that uh, ritual. But I am someone who always, makes a point of in the ideal structure of a day. And I don't do this every day, but my day always starts with coffee, of course, because that's the most important life giving uh, liquid of all time. Um, but, um, I, when I get up in the morning, I'm, I'm an early riser. So I'm typically up by six, six, 15 in the morning. Ideally I'm, uh, doing some sort of uh, exercise by 6:30 uh, quarter to seven. So I'm either out for a run or I'm in the gym uh, doing a workout of some sort. So I would say most mornings would start with activity. Uh, and then before I'm I'm actually doing anything, I'm really looking at what I'm trying to accomplish for that day. So I'm a big list maker, uh, uh, set my objectives for the day, sort of reviewing where I'm at for the week, uh, potentially against what I'd hope to accomplish. Mm-hmm um i'm thinking about what my is happening in my broader world with my family and what's what's uh, who's doing what if my older girls are are doing something important am I do i have a chance to reach out and check in with them and wish them a good day so uh call my dad things like that so these are all things that uh, are important to me is feeling connected uh and uh, uh with a strong foundation before i start into any of the tactical things that I want to do for the day. And then in the evening, um, you know, I'm trying to, you know, get into, into a routine or I'm in a routine where I'm in bed by, you know, typically 11 uh, o'clock at the latest. I'm, um, you know, reading, right uh, variety, of books, uh, could be, um, uh, could be a fiction book, uh, yeah. or it could be a, a business book, but I, I prefer that to, Uh, looking at my phone before I go to bed but I I am also guilty of doing Netflix before I go to sleep as well so nothing hardcore ritual wise in the evening but I do again I'm looking also in the evening typically uh, at my next day to see what I've got set up for that day so I'm aware and I can sort of uh, not go to bed feeling anxious that I don't know what's coming at me and even if something occurs to me oh I need to prepare this I sometimes have then I have to make a change to my bedtime ritual and get up and do something that's going to set me up for success the next day.
0: So. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. A lot of it starts with awareness, as I'm sure you know. Let me ask you this. Like, <clears throat> why do you think the, the mindset and managing your emotional state is so rarely discussed in the business setting? You know, like where, you know, the CEOs, the uh, C executives, they all go through those challenges, but it's so rarely discussed. And there's a ton of books, there's a ton of content right now on the strategy and the tactics and how to increase sales, how to do a lot of the business things and and, and tactical things, but not a lot of books or any content actually discuss the psychological side in business. Just was curious to hear your perspective. Yeah, I I think that's been largely true. I I don't know whether it's out of uh,
1: fear uh, that this is too too soft an area for uh, for business people to really uh, dig into or, or grasp a hold of and that, it, that it's not, uh, there's no definitive answer to things. So on that front, that maybe that's something that we should stay away from. And maybe it's in a broader sense connected to our historical reluctance to talk about mental health in a general sense, the way we talk about physical health, because we have no mm-hmm. problem. If you walk up to someone with a cast on your arm, Uh, You would happily say, well, what happened to your arm? But we we tend to shy away from asking, you know, how are you really? Uh, Because we don't know how we're going to deal with the response Mm. if someone says I'm not doing well. Because it's just not a this is not something we've talked about a lot. So I feel like it, though, is changing. And I don't know if you see this as well in some of the conversations you're having, but um, a little bit more focus on emotional intelligence, I think, is. Is now being brought into a lot of uh, job descriptions and, and a lot of roles. Uh, I think a more personal coaches that are out there in the in the world are helping leaders with that aspect of their of their overall skill set to be aware and to yeah. be thinking of how they operate in in key moments and bringing that that emotional connection to the to the role of leading and not just. Uh, quantitative analysis of data and not just, uh, you know, over-focus on potentially being strong in the in the traditional sense of what a strong leader looks like. I think also one of the best things that's happening in business, not as fast as a lot of people would like to see is more uh, female leadership. Right. Because I think uh, generally, and that's maybe also a gender bias for me, but I, I think uh, women generally have brought more of those qualities to leadership and to management than men have. Mm-hmm. And so I think the more balanced teams get, I see, and as I'm talking with uh, the scale-ups and the startups I'm working with, I reference uh, whether it's on the not-for-profit side or the for-profit side, I'm advocating all the time. I'm a white male myself. Uh, I, I look at sometimes the structure of advisors and the teams that I'm on and whatever. And if I say, look, there's too many people like me here. Yeah, right. you, you need to diversify. So if that means not me, that's okay. Uh, go find more different voices. We, we know now, uh, very scientifically, very, mm-hmm. very specifically, the teams do better when you have diversity, diversity of opinion, diversity of thought and experience. Uh, all these things really, really truly matter to team performance and as well then now the emotional piece. And I think there's more tools out there now for measuring, uh, team uh, intelligence, and in, in my time in business, I think I've done now in the last you know 10, 15 years a lot of different types of tests to either identify primary, uh, you know, sort of color maps that you would associate yeah. with, whether you're more rational or more creative, more more cool versus uh, emotional, et cetera. All these different elements, and then that's really helping teams work together in that way. But Fundamentally, there has to be a lot more work on making sure the team structure is, has that diversity, has that representation that's critical to success. But overall, I think emotional uh, intelligence and the discussion of, of of those elements of business are becoming more uh, regular, but it's not where it probably needs to be yet.
0: And I see the same thing. I see it when, you know, it definitely goes up. And uh, the conversations that I had with, with a few people is... Um, are are you know they start showing that psychology is that is super important. People who actually spend time in business, as as a founder or as a CEO or a co-founder, they actually see the the massive value of understanding the mindset part of that because it's a big part of the game because you have to deal with so many things. Uh, and one one guest I had, he mentioned like, oh, if I knew that, I would have. Um, instead of my degree, I would have went to study psychology instead in in mm. in, in university, and I thought that just totally makes sense because um, a lot of it is um, is is mental, really.
1: Well, yeah, and I think on that point, the uh, you know, I think we we still see a lot of leadership uh, has general kind of humanities or arts kind of background, and that surprises some people who think, oh, wouldn't all great leaders then come from an MBA kind of background and and Mm -hmm. be pure business. And I think the truth is no, because leading teams, understanding how to address problems uh, and bring solutions to those problems, working with uh, external and and internal clients requires uh, a broad variety of skills. They don't just come from classic business school training. So MBAs have a a strong role. Business has a strong part of the uh, part of the equation for sure, but it's not the only part. So I think you're right that, uh, you know, people are seeing, oh, actually that those, those courses mm-hmm. in psych and sociology, they actually meant something, they mattered, yeah. and they, they, they still do. Uh, so I think that, you know, the, one of the good things that could come out oh, as we become maybe more well-rounded, more thoughtful about how we think about, what what is the right ingredients of a leader, what's the right uh, DNA and, right. And in terms of education and background, all this stuff that will be more aware of all these different uh, things that can contribute to great leadership. So not just not just business.
0: I wanna talk about the business side of uh, the work that you're doing and start with you being in LinkedIn. You've been in LinkedIn for four years. You were leading uh, marketing efforts for Canada. How was it like uh, being at LinkedIn for those four years, it sounded, it was probably where fundamental for establishing a platform.
1: Yeah, it was great to be uh, at LinkedIn in the early days. So, this was pre IPO. So, I think always uh, great uh, fun to be part of something in the very early days. Uh, certainly, I, I wish I had helped to start LinkedIn because I'd be uh, much better off than I am financially <laughs> now. But I yeah. can't claim that. But it was certainly be the, the, The uh, five years actually that I spent at LinkedIn were tremendously rewarding. So uh, helping to build uh, the team that brought the LinkedIn marketing solutions set to Canada, being part of a leadership team in North America that helped set the standards for how we thought about uh, promoting people, measuring uh, leadership leverage and results, which are the hallmarks of sort of the LinkedIn way of thinking about employees and how they're contributing, working with the other divisions of LinkedIn that we're working on, recruiting solutions and, mm-hmm. and sales solutions in the latter years, all very, all just an incredible thing to be, uh, to, to watch the growth of this company, to see it go global into multi languages and see the platform become, in the time that I worked on it, much more utilized by a variety of people. So
0: I don't know, uh, Sergey, when did you start using LinkedIn, do you remember? <laughs> Oh it's been I think it's relatively um relatively early or maybe actually probably a little later down the road it was 2013 i think i okay. started in 2013 yeah. i didn't really use it at all i think it was just resume thing like everybody puts their yes. resume on it and the usage was so low and then in 2014 once you know uh, I got to do the job search, and like, oh, I gotta, gotta use this, Uh, and then you actually get to see the value and the power of the platform.
1: Yeah, so I think, uh, yeah, for me, it was back in, you know, I came to LinkedIn having used it uh, prior to that to find agencies uh, in other roles at Cineplex. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, the great thing about when my first job in sales. Uh, was working for this transportation company and I, I uh, tell this story quite a bit about how I would be jumping up on loading docks, even though what a loading dock is, but um, literally climbing up on a loading dock mm. to make a cold call. So I'd go into the loading area, the shipping area of a business to go try to find the shipping manager. So, um, you know, now you fast forward into today's date and with, you know, this is, uh, we've got so much ability to find out who and what we uh, were calling on, so we can find exactly the role and the title. We see the whole background of the person. We can understand more about the dynamic of the company because we can do online searches and find incredible depth of information. So, my so you could admire maybe the fact that I could climb up on a loading dock um, and yeah. find <laughs> and find a person that I was looking for, but I didn't know anything about. It. Yeah, all I knew was they worked at that company. Uh, Now the expectation for sales is so much higher. So Mm -hmm. most buyers have completed a large part of their decision-making before they ever meet with salespeople. So uh, the LinkedIn platform now allows the sellers to be so much more prepared for and uh, professional in a call. Now it's not even a, it's not a nice to do, it's a requirement. You must do that kind of research ahead of time. You have to know who you're talking to. You need to, to understand the, context of how the company is operating, et cetera. So, you know, again, I, you know, I feel like my time at LinkedIn and, and certainly at other places and Rogers Media at Cineplex, all these uh, great companies I've had the, the chance to work for, the Globe and Mail, et cetera, yeah. they all have been really critical to me to learn and to be part of, uh, uh, of transformational technologies and, and uh, building of teams that are really making a difference in the market. But yeah, uh, LinkedIn now, of course, has mm. done this great partnership with Microsoft. Uh, Microsoft right. acquired LinkedIn, and I think, I think now we see, even in the last few years, uh, post me being at LinkedIn, they, um, the the usage continues to climb. People are starting to use it more for uh, posting, or blogging, or, or or sharing content more on the LinkedIn platform because they know this is going to right. be disseminated to a professional audience. Uh, they're they're using it more to drive. Real business results, and that's always been the differentiator for a LinkedIn versus a Facebook, for sure. 100 uh, percent. Is, is why are you on it, right? So not just for the for the resume, but also because I can talk to the world about what I'm doing. And for me, still in what I'm doing now in in these different spaces in augmented reality and, and uh, mobile video and VR, mm-hmm. etc. I use it a lot to share information to talk about uh, conferences or insights that I've been at, that I have or places I've mm. been at, and I get tremendous value out of it. So I'm, I'm, i part of my regular, uh, you know, uh, activity is looking at, uh, you know, what am I doing on right. LinkedIn? Um, am I, am I reaching out enough and what's, what's happening with, uh, messages that I'm putting out there, people responding to them. Uh, we know pictures work well, both as yeah. for your profile, but also when you're posting on LinkedIn sharing so, so pictures. Much so. Yeah. If you put a photo up, I, I was here and yeah. you just write about it, very little response, put an actual photo that shows you were there, makes a huge difference. People like to see that personal uh, that personal contact and of course now uh, or personal involvement. Now they have uh, video on LinkedIn that you can use. So you can do uh, more of a blog uh, uh, kind of posting there as well. So yeah, the tools are getting better. For LinkedIn, the uh, they're they're getting better at marketing uh, and delivering high value for marketers. Scaling that, doing more in programmatic. So yeah, the platform continues to grow. I'm always going to be appreciative of the time that I spent there. So, uh, but yeah, lots of uh, I've had the good fortune in many different places. Uh, Companies to do, right. to do good work and to great get great experience back.
0: And I mean, LinkedIn does a lot of cool things, and they're they're experimenting with with lots of different things on, on yes. posting on, on on posting for businesses, driving business, and also for salespeople reaching out one on one to strategic accounts. Yes, uh, they're they're not doing other things like in if you let's say look at their LinkedIn Sales Navigator. um uh, I'm surprised they don't have enough. Filters to reach out to more people and sort out different segments of people based on their activity, based on their usage and on on and posts. And my thinking about that is LinkedIn doesn't really want to do what Facebook did because with Facebook you can you can be super aggressive in terms of how you segment people, and LinkedIn yes. has the power. Actually, they do. They have the data on each most of the profiles, they have the data to segment people like that, and um, reach out to them with a certain message. But I feel there's this, there's this um, line where they don't want to cross to be closer to the Facebook because it's professional. And I was curious from your perspective, what do you think LinkedIn is not doing, or should be doing more uh, at the moment, if you have any thoughts?
1: Yeah, probably nothing, nothing too revolutionary uh, to offer, but yeah, I think it's, you know, it was always the case uh, when I was there and I think still to some extent that Facebook was much more aggressive. Google, uh, they have m- much higher degrees and levels of targeting that were capable. Uh, they were capable of offering agencies and clients both, uh, you know, f- the on the plus side for LinkedIn as a platform, they had. Three very strong revenue streams. So they had recruiter revenue, they had the sales navigator revenue, and they had the marketing solutions revenue. And they've always been very cognizant of Mm -hmm. trying to protect all of those uh, revenue streams. And and number one, protect the member. So I think you're right to call out the you know do they want to be seen as as aggressive as Facebook? Facebook, of course, is getting. Uh, hammered a lot in the news, uh, as we all know, on, because of the level of targeting yeah. and some of the mistakes they've made in their handling of data. So LinkedIn does not want any of that stuff. They don't want members saying that. They have had, historically, they've had members complain about too many emails and things. So they've had some issues with those things. I believe that you're right. There is there is a lot of data in uh, in the LinkedIn platform that they're not giving access to so yeah as a if i you know aside from what the business is and you know why they're doing it the way they're doing it i think as a tool it could be more powerful for all those Mm -hmm. reasons you talked about so the insights of allowing me to target based on what someone has shared and the frequency of that sharing and how you know how often they're on and what have you those are those are data points that are uh, extremely valuable, I think, as a, as a marketer that I'd love to be able to utilize. Mm-hmm. As a seller, I would like to be able to find more people uh, in different ways other than just looking at titles and industries. Can I find people who share content like me? Yeah. Uh, so it's mindset and nuance like that. But so I don't think those things may be in development. They might be rolling out mm-hmm. tomorrow for all you and I know. But uh, right. certainly I would like to see them doing more with some of the information they have. But I do think they have uh, a, a real responsibility to continue to protect the uh, the data that they have on these users, and to and to protect the experience that we, you and I both have using yeah. LinkedIn. So, uh, for the most part, I, I feel like uh, you know when I'm on LinkedIn, I'm not being overly uh, hammered by offside messages and things like that. So, I think they're doing a decent mm-hmm. job of of protecting me from being spanned uh, by people. I don't have that same sense with right. Facebook. There's much more, yeah. it's more of a wild west thing. So anyway, I think, uh, yeah, there could be could be more. And I suspect with the Microsoft um, takeover of LinkedIn that I'll, there'll be more coming, more integrations with Outlook and more other exciting stuff
0: that will happen over time. hundred percent. You've been in sales executive roles for many years. What are some of the if we could narrow it down maybe to top two r- recommendations that are the most misunderstood things that are being recommended to salespeople that you often hear?
1: Uh, well, I, I mean, I guess I hear people, uh, you know, they, they know I was, I was, I did a uh, a conversation recently with somebody uh, with some students where we were talking about, uh, they were they were MBA students mm-hmm. who had no real understanding of sell, sellers yeah. or the sales profession, and so we talked about you know what's it like to be in sales. And I showed them this great clip from Glen Glenn Ross. I don't know if you've mm. ever seen that movie. I've seen it. It's so good. Yeah. So I love it. So right. So there's a great scene with Alec Baldwin, and he's talking about the ABC yeah. thing, always be closing, and he's just yes. beating beating the heck out of the sales team there who are real estate sellers anyway. So. Um, I think there's misnomers about what selling is now. Uh, that it's uh, salespeople are just talkers, and they are uh, they're out golfing and they're out doing long lunches, and and it's all about kind of relationships, and that's it, and that's how you win deals. But I think the modern the modern sales uh, person now is someone who really has to have a clear grasp of uh, their own goals. They have to understand their their uh, focus in a particular role, So they have to understand the company they're working for, the mm-hmm. solutions they're offering. They have to be aware of sales technologies, whether they are things that roll into account-based marketing uh, platforms like uh, Pareto or other other types of uh, other types of email solutions, uh, CRMs mm-hmm. like Salesforce offers and others, um, LinkedIn Navigator, etc. Mm-hmm. So they have to be super aware of who they're trying to get to as a target list and a target customer. They have to be really thoughtful about what that strategy, that account plan is going to be for getting to that customer. Uh, And then they have to be really mindful of is the things that I'm talking about with the Canadian Professional Sales Association. What we're working on there is in the context of the competencies that a a modern seller needs to have. They have to be aware of how to do proper, follow-up and negotiation and how to do good prospecting and, and how to behave ethically and, and all of these different components. So I, I guess overall the misnomer might be sales is really simple and also f- uh, very, very cutthroat. And, mm-hmm. and I believe the, the modern salesperson is really much more strategic than they've ever been. They have to be uh, much more attuned to all these technologies and the overall business. Uh, environment that they're operating in. Uh, It's a team sport now. It used to be the seller I think was seen as uh, lone wolf, yep, cowboy go do what you do, bring it back Um, you dump your your kill on the table and, and hey look what I did now now it's not like that, you know. You you have to recognize that you need business development uh, reps and sales development reps and account managers and other uh, related team members to support an, a successful uh, sales approach all the way through. And of course, now we're we're much more focused, I think, as well as in industry and in general, in this continuous loop of mm-hmm. customer loyalty and repeat right. business. So we used to have the uh, funnel and the idea that we just kept putting more customers in the top of the funnel and, and, you know, we have yeah. leakage and they come out, but now we think more, let's keep moving them around, uh, in a, in, in harmony. So if we find the right customers, we want to keep them for as long as we possibly can and not get overly focused on who's the next one I can go win. So I want to, I want to be successful in securing and then holding and building relationships and upselling over time because yeah. there's much more profitability in a customer than that. So I, again, I think, Uh, You know, it it was an interesting conversation to be talking to people who didn't really know the sales uh, industry at all, because I think a lot of them would have that sense that, oh yeah, yeah, that the Alec Baldwin character from Glengarry Glenn Ross is a salesperson. He was, and even a sales leader, but not anymore. So now it's, now it is the, it is this person that understands the the connection to the rest of the team and the requirement for strong account strategies uh, to define the target sectors, the target clients. How am I going to get there? What's the content uh, uh, that I'm going to need to put in front of all the different people in a buying committee to get to a decision, particularly on a B2B sale? Right. Um, if you're selling a SaaS pro- product or something similar, then you know that it's not just Sergey who's going to buy it. Sergey might be the decision maker, might be the one who's going to sign the contract, but no way is Sergey yep. making this decision in isolation. So how do I get to all these different people and answer their different kinds of questions? I may not get them all in a room at the same time. So how am I going to communicate with them? And again, sellers now are very, very unlikely that by the time I talk to you about something I'm working on, that it's the first time that you've heard of it or thought of it. You've probably completed a bunch of, a bunch of research already. And now you're looking for, to the seller to just take it that last little bit. So give me the, Give me the reason why I should deal with you versus the other two companies I'm looking at, right. or explain what you're going to do differently, or how you will care for me in a different way. So, you yeah, know, it's very different than I think it was uh, not so long ago. So, 100%. some some uh, so what's exciting, and I you know not to over, uh, over talk on the CPSA, the mm-hmm. Professional Sales Association, but I oh, yeah, wanted, you're part one of one that. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I think is is important about that organization is that they have really taken on a mandate of elevating the the perspective of the the modern salesperson and the profession of sales. So they're doing a lot of great work with uh, educational institutions to uh, up-level a curriculum and to create uh, accreditation levels for uh, entry-level sales, uh, more uh, professional sellers, leadership uh, in sales, this kind of thing. with testing and monitoring that goes along with that. So I get all all these things are really important to for salespeople, if you're a seller, to seeing that like that's a real job. So selling is not just something you fall into or that you do uh, just because you can make a bunch of money, but it's actually a real a real role that has uh, requirements and structure and and value to the economy. Uh, It's a huge proportion of the jobs that are done by Canadians. uh, so it's an important role, and I think as a the you know, profession, we need to be more on that and link it more strongly to what marketers are doing in account based marketing. So you end up with this account based strategy discussion right.
0: exactly. sellers yeah.
1: sellers and marketers working in harmony to to make this magic happen. So it's yeah, it's and an exciting exciting time for sellers.
0: Yeah, and then I think they, they have to know how to do it right and just communicate together sales and marketing actually and as a matter of fact, I'm writing an article on that uh, for Mars and how to align marketing sales and customer success and there are some really interesting insights of how they're doing it right now and what they're not really doing so i'm uh, in the process of uh, getting all this this data and putting it together but there's some some yeah there's some really interesting things now gary i wanted to ask you i'm sure you've got to go soon but i wanted to spend a little bit of time on finance financial industry facebook libra will be coming out uh and we had credit cards for so long; they've been here. It doesn't look like they're going away anytime soon in the next year or two. I wanted to hear your opinion on finance industry, Facebook, Libra, and specifically. And what are we gonna get out of it? Well, yeah, I, I, um, I'll
1: disappoint you because I won't. I won't be able to tell you much about uh, Libra, but I, I, you know, I do think uh, I'm a believer mm-hmm. in the promise of crypto. Uh, and c- cryptocurrency uh, and blockchain as a as a type of technology uh, to create solutions for problems. So I think we're starting to see. And actually, we 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 went through a phase as we always do with new technology, just like we did in the early days of online marketing and online advertising and digital in general creation of websites. No one was really talking about HTML and what that. Technology was. They really just talked about websites and what does what does Mm -hmm. that what does that create as a solution? So can you have um, messaging and can you have uh, e-commerce and things like that? People care about outcomes, not so much about how they how they get to the outcome. So we spent a lot of time, I think, with uh, you know talking about crypto and people were confusing it with blockchain and it wasn't obviously the same but uh, blockchain is is an underlying technology that allows for all kinds of uh, amazing solutions to be to be created on using blockchain so from mm-hmm. identity management to to financial transactions to other kinds of things in healthcare and, and other spaces so i'm i'm very bullish on blockchain and where blockchain is going to help Create uh, uh, you know better or uh, better technology and better solutions that are more secure. I think that's a you know we mm-hmm. just saw the the big hack in the last couple of days that you know all these uh, these records expose, I think uh, the awareness Cap- of
0: sec- capital, capital one capital, capital one capital one. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What something like a hundred million people affected by that? That's just it's staggering. Um, I was at yeah. a, an ISA sponsored uh, golf tournament. the ISA, does security software, last week, and that's I was surrounded by people that were all talking about about this this reality. I was pre this yeah. hack, but anyway, I, I do. Uh, I, I you know I've watched, and I'm not an investor in crypto, so I don't hold any uh, any investments there. And I've watched the uh, the Bitcoin up and down, oh, yeah. Ether, Ether the same. Uh, so we've seen. Big big swings in, in the currency and the valuation of those things. So I'm I'm I think bullish about the the idea of what it's uh, meant to do and this idea of disintermediating banks and middle middle orgs, middlemen, middle middle uh, middle handlers in the process mm-hmm. that has made a lot of financial transactions very complex and very expensive. So I I think the opportunity is for blockchain and other and and crypto currencies to really be disruptive. Um, I guess I, I, you know, like a lot of people worry about whether a private company without oversight, like Facebook, without knowing, you know, uh, Libra, the specifics Mm of it, are they you know, what are we getting into if we allow a, a private company to be an operator of a currency and really to set the value of that currency? So uh, I don't know. That that yeah. seems like um, an interesting social experiment to use that word, I guess, to, uh, you know, what w- what are the implications? I don't know all of them and I'm not the right person to answer, but I think yeah. there are a lot. So we probably have to ask some serious questions about whether that's a, a good choice and, or a, an effective choice. Um, how do we create guardrails around some of these things so that we can enjoy the benefits, but, but protect some of the downside risk against uh, about uh, those scenarios going sideways. But, I, but I, yeah, I think, you know, we have a very strong, and I've seen this, we saw this mm-hmm. in online, you know, you've been in it for a long time in the fintech space where I spent time with OnDeck, which was a small business lender. Yeah, uh, start targeting you know, very small businesses with really short term uh, capital loans. What we saw with the uh, with the banks in general, both in the US and Canada and a little bit more in Canada was that uh, they have a dominant share of the market. Uh, they are not overly uh, inspired to do things differently than what they have done in the past. They have great businesses that spin off enormous profits. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in spite of the fact that we're now starting to see a real fintech ecosystem, a great AI ecosystem in, in Toronto in particular, but also in Montreal and in other places in Canada, um, the banks still are the thing. They're, they're it in Canada. They control yep. the vast majority of transactions, of, of capital, of equity across the board. So um, they're still you know the adoption of new technologies and new opportunities is slower i think than in some other markets and in the us a little bit more open uh, but still <laughs> a little bit constrained so i think you know some of these new technologies are going to be beneficial but they will hurt those those incumbents right so
0: oh significantly so yeah
1: yeah so we we've seen in other industries incumbents typically what do, what do they do they protect so they make moves either through um by lobbying or through legislation to block uh, new technologies from rolling out. They raise concerns about, oh, my God, that's going to be really uh, un- uh, scary for consumers. That's not going to be compliant. That wouldn't be too risky. So we shouldn't do those things. And sometimes regulators say, oh, yeah, you're right. And they slow down the innovation. And maybe some of that is good because it, we're being cautious. Canada has, has as a, as a financial uh, storyline done extremely well. As we all know, the 2008 story, we weren't hurt as bad right. as most other places, mm-hmm. largely because we were more cautious. So there's some value in that. And then there's the, the drag though, is that you don't have uh, the drag on innovation is that you don't have the speed of some of these solutions coming to market because they're being blocked or slowed down. So, right, you know, over time, I'm, I would say, in, a, in largely uh, excited about what these new technologies will bring, and the idea. Right, you're, you're like me. I, am still carrying uh, credit cards now. I, I, a lot of my friends me now too. are, yeah. are, you know, they're using their phones, they're using Apple Pay or Samsung Pay or other, other uh, mobile wallet solutions to do a large number of transactions. So I don't think it's far off. I, I imagine. Have you been? I don't know if you've been to Disney. Uh, but no, they have now no. they yeah. they have the magic bands at Disney. And okay. when you go into Disney, you essentially load the band with your uh, credit card. Right. And then you go wherever you go. All you have to do is, you know, wave your wrist past the sensor and then you can buy whatever you want to buy. So the oh, good news is it's really yeah. easy. So you don't have to carry your phone or your wallet. Bad news is you could spend a lot of money. Um, yeah you have <laughs> an NFC Nf- Nf- in the wristband right no right it, that's right so it, and it's and it feels kind of magical as Disney hopes it would to be able to just wave your hand and you oh, now you can buy this huge Mickey Mouse toy um but yeah so I think the uh, I imagine a not too distant future where uh, in some form uh, other than a phone we'll have the, the the technology to make purchases either in our wearable glasses or right. in our in our wristband or in some other uh, something that we're wearing. So I, I do believe that these kinds of technology solutions will make commerce easier and more more secure, hopefully as well. So losing your credit card is not a good experience. Having your wallet yeah. stolen is not a good experience. So I think we can do better. Um, the technology will allow some of that. I think crypto has the, uh, again, the promise of maybe making me the owner or I would say, maybe blockchain, I should say. Blockchain has the potential to make you and I the owners of our own data. And Absolutely. there are some companies out there now that are sort of piloting this idea that you can sell your own data and they'll put a price on it
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, that there's some pros and cons to that as well. But this idea that I could control my identity through uh, through a blockchain token is pretty compelling to me and, and decide who gets as- access to it and at what cost or what value I uh, put on it. Uh, sounds compelling to me. Um, crypto, in theory, if I can keep more of my money and not pay whenever I do a transaction, like buy a property or yeah. buy a stock. Not have to pay so much mm-hmm. along the way because it's a simpler transaction. Right. I, I, that sounds good. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful that that happens, but I'm also aware of the the risks potential of of things getting hacked and uh, without oversight, uh, not knowing where the money's going. We've seen some crypto guys go completely. Um, offline and disappear with money, which is obviously not good. I wasn't hurt by that because I didn't have money Mm -hmm. in it, but lots of people were. So anyway, exciting new technology always brings, uh, Good and bad uh, uh, things, and, and risk and reward. But I but I'm largely excited about what it what it offers.
0: Yeah, totally. It's going to be really cool to watch that in the next couple of years, Gary. Before you before uh, we uh, wrap up here, what are some of the books that you could recommend to people on the business and a personal side that you come keep coming back to, or that you found valuable for you personally?
1: yeah i guess on the uh we talked a lot about uh selling so i think one of my favorite books in the last uh, yeah. five years mm-hmm. has been, has been a book called the challenger sale okay. which really speaks to this idea of bringing insights to the sales discussion so it's sort of the i think of it as the next level above building once you've got that relationship built and even if you don't have the perfect kind of lunch or golf relationship built you can still make headway with uh, with a a prospect by helping them understand their own business in a way they might not have thought about before. So Challenger Sale would be one of those on the sales side. I'm I'm, uh, looking at my bookshelf right now. Uh, There's a great book on uh, leadership, uh, leadership as an art, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People is an oldie, but a a goodie uh, on uh, sort of personal development, uh, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, I would say those on the, sort of on the, on the business side, uh, you know, I'm a, a reader of lots of different things. I'm reading a book right now called Seven Fallen, F- Seven Fallen Feathers, which is a story about um, missing indigenous people in Thunder Bay. So I, you know, I think uh, a true story of just of, uh, a terrible situation in that, in that place. But I do think balancing both nonfiction business books with, uh, with other kinds of, of stories, whatever creates a good balance of thinking differently about the world and and how what our place is in that in that world. And I'm a big consumer of lots of online uh, blogs on totally. sales and and business as well. So I again, yeah, uh, I'm a bit of a news junkie in that sense as well.
0: And we'll link it uh, the books you mentioned in the show notes, so everybody can check them out. Um, I read the Challenger and and Stephen Covey, amazing. I think they're they're so good. Where's everybody can find you online,
1: Gary? Yeah, they can find. Well, you want me to give you my. You're gonna to have to tell them what my LinkedIn address is. But I I'm. Uh, but they again. can easily find me if they if they uh, if they go on LinkedIn or Google, uh, G A R Y F E A R N A L L. There's only one Gary Fresnel on LinkedIn. Luckily for me, uh, mm-hmm. there's lots of there's some other Fresnels, So, but uh, only one Gary Fresnel that I've found. So they'll find me there, and I'm happy to connect and talk about sales. We can talk more about CPSA or about. UMABA, which is the ar platform i'm working on ydx innovation which is the vr and esports business uh, and uh, under which is the mobile video company that i'm spending a lot of time with as well so all all are very exciting startups and scale-ups uh, that i'm uh, enjoying spending time with the founders and the other teams that are working on those businesses so Yeah, I uh, look forward to lots of interaction. I really appreciate you inviting me to have this conversation, Sergey. It makes me think in lots of different ways about what I'm doing. And uh, I'm happy you're doing this podcast. So thank
0: you. Thank you. Thank you, Gary, for coming uh, and and sharing these thoughts. Uh, That was great to have you as a guest. Great. Thank you.